Father in heaven. In regard to singing that, I'd like to read a quick scripture from Proverbs. Shout with joy to God, all the earth. Sing to the glory of his name. Offer him glory and praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Come and see what God has done. How awesome his works in man's behalf. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. Holy, 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 so much about us. Mostly, Lord, we're just so grateful that thy, you sent thy son Jesus to us. We're thankful that we have forgiveness of sins through him. We're thankful that we have a relationship with you because we can be holy because of what he did. Lord, we're thankful that thy spirit dwells inside us today. We're thankful that you allow that so we can become more and more like you. And Lord, we just pray that you'll help each one of us recognize where we fall short of, of who you are and who Jesus rep represented you to be here on this earth and help us move toward directions of, of holiness and purity like thy son. Lord, help us be transformed into that image that you so desire for us. Lord, we also want to thank you for Jesus being the head over, our, over the church. We recognize him as being ultimate authority for it, and we're just thankful for 
for him and you to care so much about a place that we can come to and safety and love and, and where we can mature together with one another. Uh, Lord, we hope that you will let us be united in love here. We know that that love is just what everything and all the characteristics that you want us to be should, should flow out of. So Lord, just please be with us in that regard as well. <clears throat> Lord, we mindful that you are a holy God, and we're so thankful for that. Lord, we just, sometimes we don't think about well, what if you weren't a holy God and what that would mean to us, and could we trust you if you were not a holy God? But even the angels, in the most ultimate way they can say it, just praise you as holy, holy, holy. And Lord, we know we can trust you and trust your promises and the integrity of the God you are. Lord, we're just thankful that, that the things you give us, the things you tell us you'll do, that we know they'll be fulfilled because you're the one who said it. Lord, and we are thankful of your love. We're thankful that you do love us. Sometimes we can be very unlovable, but we know that you care deeply about us because of what you've done through thy son, Jesus. And Lord, we're also thankful that we can trust you, that we have that ability, to, that you're a God, that, that, that you listen to us, and that you care about the things we ask for. Sometimes we may not always get the things, if you will, if, that we pray for, but we know you're listening and we know you'll answer those prayers in, our, in best regards uh, for our journeys here upon this earth. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us this morning during this worship. Lord, we pray that each of us will engage you in each act of worship that we carry, whether it's through the songs that are just coming out of our hearts, whether it's our giving that's been purposed from the heart, Lord, we pray that the words that Matt brings to us this morning will not only go into our intellect and where we can understand things cognitively, but will get down into the deep recesses of our heart. And we know thy word is very powerful and can change us. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for these prayers again and that you're listening to them. And we pray that we know for some of us these things come from a very, very deep place. Lord, we do have a number of people with health issues here going on, and, and I would like everyone this morning just to, to raise those names up at this moment, um, each and every one of you who've got somebody on your mind, uh, please appeal to God for, for their health, uh, for their needs. Lord, we want to pray for the, the Harris family, <clears throat> knowing that Heather and Scott just so, so recently lost their father, has now lost their mother. And that's just such a tragic thing for something like that to happen in such a close time period, so independently. So Lord, please wrap your loving arms around them and be with them through this time. Lord, again, be with us through this service. And Lord, we give thy glory, the glory to you, the one and only holy God and living God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Our next song will prepare our minds for observance of the Lord's Supper. On
you gave and you gave it all. It manifested itself there on the cross on our behalf, and we're grateful. In the name of Christ, amen. Almighty God, we realize the suffering that you gave there on the cross on our behalf. It's a sacrifice meant for our salvation, and we're grateful, realizing that all of humanity should be responsible to you. At this time, oh God, we know that this, everyone in this attendance tonight, today, realize that they're responsible to you as a result of your being dying there on the cross on our behalf. In the name of Christ, amen. Elders set aside this time uh, for the offering. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'd like to thank you for this beautiful day that we've had, Father. The little bit of rain that we've got, we have always get just what we need. I'd like to thank you for this church, Father, the building, the AC. We're so fortunate, our cars, everything that we have. You need none of it, but you allow us to have it, Father, and we're thankful for that. I'd like to ask you to, as we give, that we give with open hearts this morning, that we um, know that this is um, just items um, for our own comfort. We know that you need none. Father, but um, let us do it with an open heart and a grateful heart. And, um, and uh, um, the collection boxes are at the back by the doors, um, just to let those know that may not know that they're back there. So in Jesus' name, we're so grateful and thankful. Amen. Song before our lesson this morning will be I'll Be a Friend to Jesus. <coughs> it's convenient, shall we stand? <coughs> they tried my Lord and Master.
Okay, so last week, just to recap, King Josiah died. We went back to misery in Judah, evil in Judah. And if you remember, we ended where Jeremiah was running through Jerusalem, where God said, just find me one righteous person. Just find me one God-fearing person. Just find me one. Just find me one. And Jeremiah couldn't. He couldn't find any. And that's where we're at. Now, this is, this is the end for Judah as we know it. This is the end of the divided kingdoms as we know it. 2 Kings chapter 24, Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king. Notice again, I just want to keep pointing out how consistent God's word is when a prophet says that it happens just that way. We said several sermons ago now, Judah was going to be reigned by children, by young men. We haven't had a person over 30 as king yet. Okay? We talked about that last week too. You wouldn't want somebody running the country that didn't hardly have any experience in life. That's where we're at. All right? And verse 9, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. It just sounds like a broken record with the kings of Israel and Judah. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon himself and his mother, and his servants, and his officials, and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made as the Lord had foretold. So I don't have time to get into where we already read this scripture in past sermons, but here it is. Here's that moment that God's been warning all of Israel, that God's been warning all of Judah about. Continue to turn away from me, and eventually destruction is coming. Stay with me, and I will prosper you. And I will make you a great nation among all the nations. Right? But they just can't do it. They just can't do it. So he's pulled out uh, all the, he's taken all the gold. He's taken the king and his family. And then they do this. It says, Nebuchadnezzar carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon. The king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, the chief men of the land, and he took into captivity from Jerusalem 
to Babylon. And the king of Babylon brought, to, uh, brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, 7,000, and the craftsmen and the metal workers, 1,000, all of them strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. So now not only is he taking the king of Judah with him, he's changing and putting a new king in place who happens to be the uncle of the old king, but he's taking all of the men who have knowledge, all of the men who have fighting ability, all of the people, really, who are educated, all of the people who are rich. Now that's actually a brilliant strategy for this time. Right? They've learned from Egypt. Right? Israel, under Egyptian slavery, became so big they became a problem. Right? It's going to be hard to become big and become a problem when I take all your wisdom, when I take all your wealth, when I take all your know-how, and all I leave you with is your least. It ain't hard to come back from that. Also understand this, though. Because it's going to play a big part once we get into Daniel and in that time frame specifically. God is sparing his best. The best of God's people are being spared. Now that, I'm not saying that because they were the rich, I am not saying that because they were the skilled. I am not saying that because they are the warriors. I am not saying that they are the best followers of God. Okay, we just read, again, last week, Jeremiah runs through all of Jerusalem, can't find one righteous person. But these are the most intelligent. These are the, the people who have gotten the furthest in life out of Judah. That's what he takes to Babylon for himself. That's going to play a big role coming forward in the next um, couple of weeks. So once Nebuchadnezzar does that, he sends back his bodyguard. Nebuzaradan is the captain of the bodyguard. A servant of the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem, verse 9, and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house. What's the house of the Lord? The temple, right, very good. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burned down. And all the army of the, child, of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem and the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon together with the rest of the multitude. Carried them all in exile. There's nothing left. There's nothing left. The temple of the Lord's been burnt down. The palaces have been burnt down. All the, the houses of nobility, of wealth, it, there's nothing left. It's a ruin. To wall, destroyed. Now remember what I told you. We're getting out of the king's and into the prophets. And the prophets are going to carry the storyline from here. 
And right now, Jeremiah is there. And Jeremiah, I think, has one of the hardest calls in all of the Bible. One of the reasons why I think he has the hard, one of the hardest calls in all the Bible is because he is literally in the worst possible time to be alive as a Jew, probably outside of the Holocaust, right? The Jews are about to get destroyed. Okay? Not only that, he's in the midst of God's people when nobody cares. Not only do they not care, they're not worshiping God, they're not following God, they're not listening. I showed you what happened, now I'm going to show you the prophecies that led into what happened. And I did that backwards on purpose today. Normally I show you what the prophets say and then I show you how it happened. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, my brother, and ah, sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, Lord, and ah, his majesty. With the burial of a donkey, he shall be buried, dragged, and dumped beyond the gates of Jerusalem. That's talking about Josiah, but it's also talking about, in a foreshadow too, Jesus. Okay? Here's another one from Jeremiah. As I live, declares the Lord through Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, wear the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those of whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl, hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But the land to which they will, no long, they will long to return, they shall not return. So this is that prophecy he's telling Jehoiachin before he gets to this place where Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes him and his family right where he surrenders to them is what he does eventually. He's saying, this is what's going to happen. Jeremiah is, is telling them exactly what is going to happen. This is something we have seen many, many, many times now in this series. We've seen God literally spell out word for word, verbatim, what's going to happen in a way that nobody else could. You can't guess right this many times. You know what I love about this part of prophecy? It's not just talking about the Jews. It's not just talking about Israel. It's not just talking about what the people in power over that country can control. You understand? If I set something up in here and I say, hey, you know what's going to happen? In five minutes, someone's going to run through that door and they're going to be in a bikini. And I have somebody outside and they're in a bikini waiting for the queue. Not that exciting, right? Because I can control the entire situation. I already have control over the entire situation. What does the prophet Jeremiah control over Babylon? He's got no chance. He can't even get his own people to listen to him. How's he going to get the king of Babylon to listen to him? How in the middle of a war, in the middle of besiegement, in the middle of your, your, your entire life, 
city being destroyed. Does things work out just the way God said them? If he's not God. If these aren't words from God, explain that to me. Here's the thing. I'll show you one version. I'll show you two or three by the end of this sermon. There's thousands in the Bible like this. And you know what's the best part? Even the people who don't believe in God still acknowledge the history of the Bible. They can't get away from it. Why? Because it's what happened. <laughs> Truth doesn't change. Why is that important? Because God's word is the truth. That's why it will endure forever. It doesn't change. Truth doesn't decide it's one thing one day and another thing the next day. Just like Mike was praying about how God is holy and how we can trust him. Why can we trust him? Because he's holy. Because he's the truth. Because he doesn't change. He's consistent. What he was today, he will be tomorrow. You can take it to the bank. Same with his word. Why is all this so important? Why have I spent so much time studying parts of Scripture with you in this crazy time in our life? Why have I spent so much time studying this part of Scripture with you? Because the story doesn't change. It's the same story through life. The truths are still there. Jeremiah 23, woe, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Now, I want you all to listen to this. I want you all to listen to this. Because he's calling out the leadership of the Jews. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock. You have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set up shepherds over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed neither shall they be missing declares the Lord so there was a leadership that failed in the Old Testament okay there was a leadership by Israel there was a leadership by the Jews there was a leadership that failed the people of God why because the people who were supposed to be in power the people who were supposed to lead were leading the people in the wrong direction they were scattering the flock why was this flock scattered it wasn't unified because it wasn't going in the same direction there's lots of reasons for that but that's the main part they were chasing their own desires right they were following other gods we can go through the list again if you want But even in the midst of all this, what's he promising? He's promising something that's coming. He's promising a leadership that will take care of the people of God. 
If you don't think the role of an elder is important, look at this scripture. If you don't take the role of an elder serious, look at this scripture. If you don't respect the role of an elder, look at this scripture. We're going to get back to that when we get to the New Testament. Because I've already decided, I've already went this far through the Bible, we're just going to go through the whole thing before it's all said and done. So Jeremiah 23, after that, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely, shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Obviously, again, he's giving out these messianic prophecies. He's reminding Judah... The Messiah is still coming from you. It can't feel like that right now, right? It can't feel like that. In the time that they're in right now, it cannot feel like everything is going to be okay. They're getting destroyed. They're getting wiped off of the face of the earth. They're being taken in and um, brought into another culture. Most cultures, you realize we've had a lot more cultures in the world than the amount of countries we have, right? You realize most cultures get eaten by another culture. This is where a culture goes to die. Exile. And he's saying, look, the Messiah's coming from you, okay? All right, we're going to keep going. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. This was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this is what he says. Pay attention to this part, because this is where it's going to get, this is, this is like where it gets interesting for today. For 23 years from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me. I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. I tell you every single day, it goes in one ear, out the other, you go right back to your life, and you do whatever you want to do anyway. That's what he's saying. He saying, I've told you in detail exactly what's coming. It's going to play out like a book, and you still don't listen. Right? Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send, uh, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Do you think that was confusing for people of God, for God's people to hear that Nebuchadnezzar was a servant of God coming to destroy his people? Some of us know the end of that story, right? Did Nebuchadnezzar become a servant of God? Sure did. We'll get to that later. 
This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then after seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and, and that nation, the land of the, the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Now I want you to see this, and I've been pointing this out on purpose, because when we get to Daniel, we're going to talk about this in a way that probably, probably hasn't been opened up. Okay, I think a little bit different, I'll admit that, and you're probably not going to agree with everything I say, and that's okay, I'm just going to tell you what I see. But if you notice right here, you've got a country, and then you have a people that live in a country that are rulers. But they're not Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I want to tell you the history, and I've been pointing this out already, that the Chaldeans go all the way back to Abraham. Abraham was from the land of Ur, home of the Chaldeans. It's the Chaldeans who come in to destroy Judah. It's the Chaldeans who are going to speak up at a very important time and say something very important in Daniel. It's the Chaldeans who rule Babylon... And every now and then through history, go back and look at it yourself, every now and then in history, actually send somebody to be king over Babylon. It's a system. And when we get to Daniel, we're going to really dis discover and explore the system that's being created in the world. But he promises them you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. After 70 years, something bad's going to happen to Babylon. Now, again, to the word, to the letter, take it to the bank. This is what else he says. But if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword. So this is Jeremiah saying, look, you either serve Babylon or you don't serve Babylon. You either serve Babylon, right? I'm going to finish the rest for you now. And you can stay in your land and rule over your own people, but you'll be a servant to Babylon. Or you can rebel against Babylon and you'll go to exile. Right? <clears throat> That's what it says. I've got to speed up here. So Zedekiah, remember who Zedekiah is? That's the uncle. Right? Changed his name to Zedekiah, the uncle. It's been replaced as king. Was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And Zedekiah, bottom line, rebelled against the king of Babylon. Now, why would Zedekiah rebel against the king of Babylon? Jeremiah 28. Jeremiah 28, Jeremiah covers another prophet. Now, I don't know if this guy is a good guy. I don't know if, if he's uh, had some prophecies before that were right or not. But he says a prophecy that is directly in contradiction to Jeremiah. He says in that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, because that's all really important, Haniah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house. Within two years. Guess what? He was wrong. He was wrong. He spoke prophecy in the name of the Lord, and it was wrong. He was a false prophet. That's what he was. 
King Zedekiah listened to him, not Jeremiah. I want you to understand, too, that this assault, this devastation of Judah, it didn't happen overnight. It took years. It took years. They were infiltrated by all the countries surrounding them with their cultures, with their belief systems, with all that stuff. And then once they had completely lost their way, the slow devastation and destruction of Israel, of Judah, began. Just under King Zedekiah, who, who Nebuchadnezzar puts in, they're sieged for 11 years. Wasn't something that just happened and was over. Something they dealt with every single day. I want to throw this little tidbit into, I'm getting really close to being done. This is also the time where we get ring in Esther. But you know, we talk a lot about Esther. We talk very little bit about Mordecai, right? You know what's interesting about Mordecai? He was a Benjamite. What's he doing in Judah? Probably recognized that Israel was going the wrong way and got out right before they got destroyed. His family. He's probably part of that remnant that we keep hearing about, right? Didn't it, wasn't it just on... Uh... Anyway, I'm pretty sure it was on one of the last scriptures. I didn't read the whole thing, sorry. Lost my place, now I'm flipping too much. There we go. So anyway, we got all that going on with Esther, which is about to come into play. Where? We're that close. Again to the people of God, the bloodline of Jesus being wiped off the face of the earth. And I just wanted to put this in there because I think it's interesting because Jehoiachin, he doesn't get to go home, but he also doesn't remain a prisoner forever. I don't know exactly why the details aren't all there. It just, we know that it's an evil king, right? It says evil Merodach, king of Babylon was the one who freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. And from that time on, he lived in Babylon, which fulfills the prophecy of God, but he also gets to eat at the table with the king. So his, and, and he gets, a, and he gets a, um, an allowance also to live off of. All right, just wanted to put that in there real quick. I got three take-homes. The first one is this, be careful and prayerful. Be careful, but more importantly, be prayerful about who you listen to in this life. Be careful. The story could have been different many, 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 many times now over and over again, right? Aren't y'all getting tired of hearing the same story? It's like the same story every Sunday, isn't it? Somebody's good, then the rest of everybody's bad, and here we go again. Be careful who you listen to in this life. Listen, surround yourself in wisdom, right? Surround yourself in discernment from people 
Who you see God in. Most important thing. You know what we usually do? We see somebody talented. We see somebody good looking. We see somebody with money. We see somebody who's got something we want, right? And we try and leech on or, or reach out to those people. And we try to mock, mock and mimic those people. That's what we do. We see what we think is success, and that's what we try to mock and mock, a mirror, whatever I'm trying to say today. My goodness. How often do you latch on to the person where you're like, man, that person is godly, man. I can see it. I, I experience I can tell he loves the Lord or she loves the Lord. I can tell. How often do you latch on to that? How often do you say, that's what I want? Man, be careful and prayerful because you never know. But I can tell you something that's easy to spot, and all of you know it. You can spot when someone loves the Lord. That don't mean they're perfect, but you can spot when someone loves the Lord. You can spot when the Lord means something to somebody in their life, right? You can spot it. Latch on to those people. Number two, put your faith in the one true living God whose hand is upon the world and whose prophets talked about both sides of history. They didn't just talk. I, I keep reiterating this because this is understated yet overstated. If you can do that, it is something we don't say enough. The Bible doesn't just cater to God's people and their history that they can control. The Bible talks about things that were way out of God's people's control. Before it ever happens. In details, you cannot deny. When we get to Cyrus, do you realize that God calls Cyrus out by name 500 years before he actually steps in? 500 years, by name. How you do that? Right? Put your faith in the one true living God whose hand is upon the world and whose prophets talked about both sides of history. Those uh, for God and those who oppose God. His word is truth. Why? Because it will not change because it is the word of God. It is the truth and it will endure forever. It's the same reason why I can take... How many other books do you think have lasted this long and still been relevant at all? My kids won't even watch the cartoons I used to watch. But we're still reading this book. It still makes sense in the culture today. Last but not least, even in that moment in life where it feels like God isn't there, this is that moment for Judah. Outside of like Jeremiah over there going, I told you. He is still there. And he is still working. And he's not going to give up on you. Man, I know we've all been to that place. I know we've all been to that place at least once in our life where we think, how in the world am I supposed to turn this around? How in the world am I supposed to make this right? How in the world can I just start over? That's the beauty of the gospel. You can. You can. 
If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can. You can have all your sins washed away. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit through baptism, right? You can start over. In fact, according to Jesus in the conversation with Nicodemus, you have to start over. You have to be born again. For those of us who have already done that, man, you get to that point where you lost your way after? That's a little bit harder moment, isn't it? Now you feel like you're like uh, taking advantage of grace, right? You've neglected the Lord, right? Like it's a different scenario now. Before I was just the kid roaming around trying to figure out life, all of a sudden I'm baptized. Now I'm in a marriage relationship with God and I've cheated on God. You can start over. That's what repentance is. The Lord knows you're not going to get it right. Even after years of Christianity, right? Even after years of a relationship with the Lord. Some of you have been married for years. You know exactly how to do everything right for your spouse now? You never make a mistake anymore? If you do, teach me your ways. God doesn't give up on us. Listen, I don't care how far gone you think you are. I don't care what your worst mistake is. I don't care the thing you'll never tell anybody. I get it. Nothing is too far. Nothing is too far. You can just start over. That's why Paul can say, I am convinced that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. The hardest part is the first step. It's the return. It's the turn back. It's the acknowledgement that I'm wrong, that I've lost my way, and I need to turn around. That's repentance. But pride and all those things get in the way. Look, we serve an amazing God. I pray you never forget that. Patient, loving, gracious. How can you not read the Old Testament and realize that now? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you had your sins washed away, received the gift of the Holy Spirit? For those of us who have, I pray we stay on track. And if we're off track, just get back on track. Just get back on track. If you have a need to respond to the invitation, please come as together we stand and sing.
Thank you, Matt. I think the word we were looking for was emulate. It's a good one. Uh, if you didn't get a bulletin, please pick one up. There's a lot of information there. I'm not going to try and go through everything. I'm going to touch on a few points and some notes that I was given uh, that aren't in the bulletin at all. Uh, uh, Glenda and, and Tommy's uh, daughter, Christy, she's going to have foot surgery, take some bone spurs off on this Thursday, and she'll be off, her, off that foot for four weeks. So keep everyone in your prayers for that one. Uh, their granddaughter, Kaylee Brown, she was one who had uh, cancer in her thyroid. Wasn't it thyroid? Parathyroid or thyroid? Thyroid. Uh, she hasn't seen the surgeon yet, so keep them in your prayers as well. Um, Carol had uh, confirmation that she has cancer. It's encapsulated, uh, but uh, keep her in your prayers and Mike in your prayers as they look forward to, uh, to what they need to do and, and get with the surgeon. Mitzi's uh, got 19 treatments left. She had three this last week, I believe, so keep her in your prayers as she goes through radiation, radiation, radiation treatment. Gerald Ram. Uh, walking more, he's able to lift more, he's recovering well, so good, good news there. Um, a piece of sad news is I believe last Friday, Brenda Harris passed away. Uh, we'll be having services on Tuesday at 5 o'clock, uh, visitation at 6 o'clock will be the service. Uh, Betty's coordinating, bringing in some food, so uh, keep the Harris family. This is, uh, this is in less than a month, uh, their dad and then their mom passing away, and I kind of know how that is. I lost my dad and my sister in the same year, so uh, it's, it's kind of tough. You kind of get numb after that one. So keep in your prayers. Look forward to seeing those of you on Tuesday. Shall we stand for the closing song? <laughs> I'd like to stay here longer than man's allotted days and watch the bleeding watch cliff diving on the on the sports channel 
and these were men that would dive for like over a hundred feet into a, into a lagoon. And the, the, they could only do it certain times of the year because the water wouldn't always be deep enough. And then they would have to time it. The waves would come into the lagoon and come in and go out. And the announcers referred to it as a leap of faith because they had to time it to jump when the water wasn't there. And, and because they were such high, they were so high, the water would actually fill the lagoon enough so that when they landed, the water would be deep enough. And, that, and they called it a, a, a leap of faith. And if you think about it, I'd like to thank everybody here this past year, year and a half. We've all had a leap of faith. If we've done things when the water went there, you know? And, and it's very important, it's very pleasing to see. Everybody's back, everybody's here, and, and it's because of that. And so, shall we pray? Our God and our Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for all the Christians here that have had a leap of faith, that are willing to, they're willing to trust you, even though they can't see you. And we pray that you'll continue to be with us and help us grow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.